love for you now to take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 23. And tonight for our communion meditation, what we're going to be doing is to follow Jesus on that road, the Via Dolorosa, and make our way upwards and upwards to the cross of Jesus Christ. And from Luke chapter 23, what I'd like to do is to begin reading with verse 26 and take it down through the point where it speaks of him being the king of the Jews. For here it reads, And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they'll say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore on the breasts that never nursed. And then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? But two others, who are criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're thanking you now for this great privilege of coming into your presence. There was a silence about that cross. There's a silence about us now, Father. We need a quietness of our hearts, of our lips. We need to be able now to reflect upon who matters most and what matters most. These are your moments. It's a time where we transition ourselves from a Monday, Thursday, upper room experience that the disciples had previously experienced before this passage unfolds. Takes us, Father, 
through a Good Friday, it inches us towards an Easter Sunday. Take us along the same, the same route. So Father, we give now to you these moments. Warm these hearts, engage these minds, and shape these wills. So again now, Father, even this evening, we come here to see Jesus and, and him only. And we're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Oberammergau is a setting in Bavaria, Germany. It's a town of roughly 5,000 people, over 2,000 of which put together a play that occurs every 10 years. It's known throughout the world as the Oberammergau Passion Play and was first performed in 1634. Performed every 10 years, it's performed because a vow was made by the inhabitants of the village back in that day in 1634 that if God spared them from the effects of the bubonic plague sweeping the region, they would perform a passion play every 10 years, chronicling the movements of Jesus Christ to the point of death and onwards to resurrection. What's interesting is that in 2020, they have had now to postpone the passion play because of the coronavirus and rescheduled it for 2022. I was looking forward this year to being there. What we see unfolding before us is the drama that would have us to better understand what that passion play was all about. The most famous of all the actors that portrayed Jesus Christ in the Oberammergau play, his name was Antoine Lang. And as Long became older, people associated the play with him, but at the same time became increasingly worried about his ability to carry a heavy wooden cross. And so they, they suggested to Long that he ought to make a lighter cross out of fiberglass, which would look like wood making it easy for him to be able to make his way across the stage. But as he was being interviewed, he was, here was his response. Unless I can feel the weight of the cross, I cannot feel the part. Unless I can feel the weight of the cross, I cannot feel the pot. What I want you to do with me tonight is to feel the weight of the cross. As we make our way through this passage of Scripture, keep asking yourself, do I feel the weight here? Is it weighing me down? 
Because here now, beginning in verse, in verse 26 of this 23rd chapter that Luke has provided for us, I want to draw out for us four basic observations. And the first begins in verse 26, and it deals here with the unexpected encounters with Christ that take place on the what's known as the Via Della Rosa. Now, at this point in time, Jesus Christ, as he is making his way through the crowd, has been bearing the weight of perhaps 100 pounds worth of what was known as the pedibulum. It was placed on his shoulders. And as Jesus would stumble on his way toward Golgotha, a soldier would precede him, walking the Via Della Rosa, carrying a, a darkened inscription with the words, Jesus of Nazareth and King of the Jews. Are you feeling the weight of the cross? Now, Jesus was extraordinarily strong, great stamina. As a carpenter, he knew what it meant to lift weights. But you see, he has already been scourged. There's been a horrible loss of blood and tissue. And now the pedibulum has been placed on his shoulders. Would he make his way there? Well, as they led him away, notice what happens. They, speaking of the military personnel, they seize one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Now this man, Simeon, Simon of Cyrene, you see, would have been surprised by what has just taken place. God has basically volunteered him for the task. Has God ever volunteered you for something that's unexpected? Unexpected responsibility? In an unexpected setting? Among unexpected people? And there you are. Now this man was from a setting which is known today as Libya. And the Cyrenian Jews, well, they had a synagogue in Jerusalem. It's mentioned in the book of Acts of chapter 6, verse 9. He didn't expect this, but God in his sovereign purposes had already appointed him for this role. And he's coming in from the country. They lay on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Jesus goes before him while a soldier with that placard still goes before Jesus. And as Simon of Cyrene continues to make his way forward, you and I make our way through the gospel accounts, and we smile because if we look at Mark chapter 15, verse 21, we find that Simon had two sons, one named Alexander and the other named Rufus. In Mark's account, 
which lists the sons, the accounts written to the church in Rome. And in Romans 16, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. It's very likely, then, that Simon's family would have ended up having been strategic people used by God's purposes in the church in Rome. It was their father who felt the weight of the cross. Do you feel the weight of the cross tonight? Because as Antoine Lang put it, unless I can feel the weight of the cross, I cannot feel the part. What part has God had for you tonight to be part of his strategic plan? communicating the gospel to those around you? Well, Simon's not the only one who has this unexpected encounter with Christ. And if you are following with my PowerPoint, you've been able to spot on the Via Della Rosa where that took place, the fifth station of the cross. But you make your way forward to the eighth station of the cross because here we go on to read that there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Now some of them, this was their role, this was their responsibility. But for others, there was this heartfelt condition. There was an allegiance to a loyalty to the one who's the king of the Jews. They're mourning. They're lamenting. But even in the midst of the scourging, and there has been the loss of blood, and the weight of the patibulum that now has been transferred to Simon, nonetheless, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, still has enough stamina to be able to minister to the crowd And notice now in verse 28, he turns. In the midst of the turn, what you and I see here is he's about to make a prophetic statement. He's still seeking the will of the Father in the way in which he would apply truth to life. Daughters of Jerusalem, he says which was a typical expression by prophets to address the entirety of the nation. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. He's already thinking about others. And for your children. In other words, he's thinking beyond. He's looking at future generations. Now again, that great word, behold, found again and again in the scriptures. The days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And then they'll begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. You're saying, Gary, at this point, what's he referring to? In the short term, of course, 
there would be the conquest of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And the people would be scattered. All of which would be an installment leading to that future day still to come. But then he goes on to say this. In verse 31, For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Trees don't naturally burn, do they, when they're green? But when they're dry, they're, they're highly flammable. And so Jesus is taking them not only into the near future, but also into the distant future, simultaneously offering prophetic insight in the form of a proverb. And there is Simon who is taking it in. And there would be the centurion who would eventually exclaim, this is an innocent man who would probably been the one to oversee the scourgings, taking it in. As Jesus Christ is pausing to minister to those around him, he has a way of doing that, you know. The unexpected encounters with Christ. Have you had an unexpected encounter with Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Notice with me, second of all, not only the unexpected encounters with Christ, but the intense mockery of Christ. You're up now to verse 32, aren't you? And in verse 32, you and I are informed that we're, there were two others who were criminals, led away, to put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, the skull, there they crucified him. Criminals one on the right, one on his left. And when I look at this, what I see at this point is that you and I are positioned at Golgotha. And it's at Golgotha where Jesus Christ would have been placed for the point of crucifixion. I remember standing there looking at the configuration of the mountainous terrain, looking carefully at the way in which a skull seems to be shaped. And you're standing there near the garden tomb taking it all in. Meanwhile, you're back to the text at this point. At the skull, they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And yet, once again, what we find is that Jesus Christ is ministering verbally, though hurting physically. You spot at the un unexpected encounters with Christ, and you're processing the intense mocking, the mockery of Christ. Yet in the midst of it all, here is Jesus once again hurting physically, but at the same time ministering verbally as he says, Father, forgive them, for they, they know not what they do. Who's he praying about at this point? The soldiers around him. 
as he looks down and finds that they are in the process of fulfilling a prophecy that has been made in the Older Testament. They're casting lots to divide his, to divide his garments. Did Mary make such garments? Is this the work of her hands, you see? The people are standing there. They stood by. They're watching. But as they're watching at this point, what you've got to see here is the significance of what's unfolding. The rulers are scoffing at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. The irony of it all is they want him to come down from the cross to save himself. Jesus remains on the cross to save those who are mocking. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one, and the soldiers mocked him as well, my word, if the, if the religious leaders can do it, so can the soldiers. And so coming up and offering him sour wine, which is again, in keeping with the prophecies of the Old Testament, they put forth a conditional statement, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. But behind all this is the cosmic drama of the evil one, once more offering a counterfeit form of salvation. Rather than Christ saving us, this is his last-ditch effort for Christ to save himself. Now in his weakened state, Maybe at this moment, Jesus will offer the alternative plan of salvation and save himself and, and simply make his way off that cross. Meanwhile, there is also this inscription. It's over him. This is the king of the Jews, you see. But what God has done in his sovereign purposes, and you can read about it in the book of John, is that this was written in multiple languages. An evangelistic statement is going out with regard to who matters most and what matters most, even in the midst of the mocking that's taking place here. Don't miss the last-ditch effort to tempt Jesus to produce a counterfeit salvation, saving himself by coming down rather than remaining on the cross and saving us. And so what you've spotted with me at this point is the unexpected encounters with Christ. And second of all, the intense mockery of Christ. But now third of all, notice with me the contrasting beliefs about Christ. It's as if Jesus visually now is dividing all of humanity into two parts. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. See again, for re-emphasis, a counterfeit form of salvation. But notice the contrast. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. 
But now, and I'm sure the centurion is listening in, this man has done nothing wrong. And then the most amazing request takes place in this setting known as the skull. You and I, we've walked together down the Via Della Rosa, the road of sorrows. We've made our way now to this point, and we're processing what takes place there when this individual on the cross says, Jesus, see how personal he is? Jesus, remember me. That means he believes there's more to come. Otherwise, there'd be no basis for recall. Remember me, when you come into your kingdom, as he's processing that placard, this is the king of the Jews. Notice the assurance, and again now, though hurting physically, Christ ministers verbally. He said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The contrasting beliefs about Christ found here. What do you make of these men, one to the left and one to the right, Christ in the middle? It's as if Christ is dividing humanity into two parts. To put it this way, the one who rejected Christ died in sin. The one who trusted Christ died to sin. While one in the middle, Jesus, died for sin. What do we make of this? No sin is too great for God's grace. No time is too late for God's grace. And no person is too removed for God's grace. Which side of the cross are you? One died in sin. The other one died to sin. While Christ in the middle died for sin and you're processing it? Do you feel the weight of the cross? The unexpected encounters with Christ? The intense mockery of Christ? The contrasting beliefs about Christ? But now fourthly, the cosmic testimony to Christ. Look at the extraordinary elements that unfold here in these verses. 
because now you and I read, it's about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. It's as if the entire cosmic realm was crying tears of darkness. Darkness engulfed the cross at midday and remained for three hours. While 33 years earlier there had been this extraordinarily bright, dazzling display of light in the night in which Christ was born. Light in the darkness. Now darkness in the light. You see the contrast and yet the connection between birth and death. In that day of the Lord, Amos informs us, I'll make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I'll make it like the morning for an only sun, you see. Another element. And while the sun's light failed, the curtain of the temple was, was torn in two. Darkened sky. Torn curtain. One writer puts it this way, that the curtain was the greatest of the 13 curtains of the temple, woven with expensive yarn from Babylon. Blue, white, red, purple, with representations of the cherubim. But its function was to block all eyes from and forbid all access to the Holy of Holies except once a year when the high priest entered with blood offered for himself and for the sins of the people. And then you and I reflect upon what was penned by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that's through his flesh. And since we have great priests over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And this is torn, not bottom up, but top down, because this is grace at work. Darkened sky. Torn curtain. Thirdly, the loud cry. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Two people want to take their lives into their own hands. But here is the sinless one on that cross who died for us. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Notice the public testimony. There's the centurion. Bible speaks highly of centurions. The one, for example, who didn't want Jesus to even enter into his house because he was unworthy of Jesus making that entrance. Or that time in the book of Acts where Peter will minister to the centurion and his family. But now the centurion, who could very well have been the one who oversaw the flogging of Jesus, the scourging of Jesus, but he's processed what Jesus has done verbally. 
He's pondered how Jesus has ministered to others spiritually. And now he's taken into account the cosmic realm of the darkness. He is processing the curtain that is torn. He's hearing Jesus cry out in a loud voice with no bitterness. Father, into your hands I quit my spirit and breathes his last. What does the centurion do? Well, he, he praises God saying, certainly this man was innocent. Has he been touched by what that one on the cross had said? This man has done nothing wrong. Why, has that criminal on the cross already evangelized the centurion, one wonders? Meanwhile, notice the social distancing. All the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee. You see how this fits into 2020? Stood at a distance. Watching these things. Feel the weight. The cosmic testimony to Christ. Oberammergau. It's been delayed. It was to have happened this year. Every ten years, recalling how God spared that little village of the bubonic plague, but now it's been postponed to 2022. And the greatest of all the actors who portrayed Jesus Christ in the play. Antoine Long, when in his latter years it was suggested to him that he ought to make a lighter cross out of fiberglass. It would look like wood, easier to carry across the stage. His response in the interview, unless I can feel the weight of the cross, I cannot feel the power. What part do you have in God's kingdom strategy? Is sharing Jesus with others? Do you feel the weight? Let's pray. So, Father, we're thanking you now. You've taken us along the Via Della Rosa, the road of sorrows. You've allowed us to be able to process verbally and even to within our own minds, be able to draw things out visually, thinking, processing, the gravity of it all, the weight of the cross. This is what preps our hearts, Father, for the bread and cup about to be taken place. We're giving you praise for what took place. He died for our sins. So we would not have to die in our sins. And for this, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.